We love to get to know you this morning. Well, I'm Pastor Ben. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my privilege this morning to continue our Advent and Christmas sermon series called A Candy Cane Christmas, where we've been looking into Jesus Christ as the Good Shepherd and all the implications from that truth for our lives. And so as we move into part two today, I'm going to ask you a question, a question about your life. Have you ever met, like face-to-face, have you ever met a celebrity, like a real-life celebrity? Have you ever met somebody that you've only seen on TV, but all of a sudden you walk into your favorite coffee shop, into the grocery store, into Target, you're just walking down the street, and all of a sudden they're, they're like staring you in the face? And you kind of are in shock because you've only seen them with the glass panel between you. And you're like, is this, is this really happening? Are, are they really there? And you get nervous, don't you? Right, what should you do? What, what are we supposed to do? Can I talk to them? Can I not talk to them? And then you're wondering, do I even remember their name? I mean, they're on that show, but I, I'm not really sure. So you pull out your phone and you start Googling. You Google something like this. Who's the guy in that movie where Santa's standing on his roof and Santa falls off and he dies and then there's the coat laying there, he puts on the coat and then he becomes Santa, which is Tim Allen. Very good, you guys are doing so great. First service stared at me and I thought, I have swung and missed really badly. Yeah, Tim Allen. Have you ever had a moment like that? Maybe you you walk through and you see Tim Allen or some other celebrity and, and there they are. How do you respond? Maybe if your story, I saw some of you nodding, how did you respond? Did you walk up and say, can I have an autograph? Did you, did you get a picture with them? Maybe you just poked the person next to them and said, you know what, people probably bother them all the time, but, but look, look who it is. Or maybe you're one of these people. You got so excited, you start screaming, right? Look, it's Beyonce, right? It's the Beatles, it's Billie Eilish. And you just created this mass hysteria. And now everyone's like running at them and bothering them. And it's just, it's just a whole scene. Well, today, as we dive into the book of Matthew once again, we are going to see one of these moments. This is the unveiling of one of the greatest celebrities. In fact, the greatest celebrity ever to walk the face of the earth. This is what Matthew says to us this morning. He says, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying loudly, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Now, before we get into this amazing moment in history, we have to back up a little bit. Now, if you were here last week and you were paying attention last week, you are fully prepared for today's conversation. But if you were here last week and you kind of dozed off or your internet connection went on the fritz or you were sick or tired, right? We missed you, but you're going to really not get this. So I need to just give you some, some little bit of information for you to track with us this morning. So the best thing to do, if you're here and you're thinking, yeah, I, I fell asleep, I wasn't paying attention, I don't remember anything about last week, go back to our website, listen to part one, because there's so much there for you, especially this Advent and Christmas season and, and for your life, I don't want you to miss it. So dig back in. But here's the snapshot, okay? Here's the little tiny bit that you definitely have to know or you'd be completely lost. There was a moment in history when the Jewish people were about to be overrun by this group called the Assyrians, this mighty empire and this mighty army. And they thought that they were gonna wiped off the face of the map forever, like just absolutely obliterated. And so in this moment in history, God gives them 
a prophecy through this prophet called Micah. And it was a prophecy of hope because in this prophecy, this is what God says, says, there will be a day when I'm gonna send a ruler to be born in the small town of Bethlehem and he won't be like any other ruler before. He's going to shepherd my people, Israel. He's gonna be a king like David, but actually better than David. Now, when these words were spoken in this very tumultuous time, these were amazing words of hope because what was the implications of these words? The implication was that these people would not be obliterated. In fact, in the future, they would absolutely thrive when this king came to make everything right and to shepherd and guide them and love them. This was the promise that these people held on to. This is what got them through the dark days of their life. Now, as modern day people, as followers of Christ, we know what that prediction was about, right? It's about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But remember, when we're reading these words of Matthew and he's recounting this piece of history, these people have no idea that that's the case. No one has proclaimed Christ as Lord. No one has said, hey, look, it's the Messiah. Now, with that backdrop, this is what's going on. Jesus has begun his ministry. So he's teaching, he's using stories. He's a magnetic communicator. And of course, he does miracles. So he's just drawing these massive, massive, massive crowds. So it should come as no surprise, there's two men who are blind that are following him around because they've heard about the miracles and they of course want in on that. So there's some friends or family members who are guiding them from each one of these little rallies of Jesus where he's teaching and doing miracles and they're going from place to place to place. But each time they're disappointed because they are never the ones chosen, right? They are never the ones healed. And so they follow Jesus. They keep saying, hey, bring us with, lead us where he's going and we're gonna track him down no matter what the cost. We're gonna follow him all the way to his home if that's what it requires. And that's what they do. They track him down all the way to his house and they yell out these words, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, when they yelled those words, the crowd that had gathered around Jesus' home would have gone silent. Now, we don't really get why, but if you were living in that context, in that moment, you would understand because all the prophecies, and there's far more than just Micah, there's hundreds of prophecies about this Messiah that gave all these details about what this individual would be like, what the shepherd king would be like. And some of them point to this very specific lineage that Jesus would come from, that Jesus would be through the line of King David, not just born in the city of King David, but actually through the lineage of King David, which is why if you back up in the beginning of Matthew, it starts off with that really boring genealogy. Because what Matthew is trying to do is set the stage that Jesus is the one who fulfills all of these prophecies. In fact, this is why Jesus ends up in Bethlehem because of the census. He has to go there because that's the origin story of his family, right? It all starts in Bethlehem for Jesus and his family. And so when these blind men yell out these words, the crowd goes silent because what are they saying? They're not just saying, hey, we think your dad is David, right? We're, we're confused. Or way back, David, what they're saying is, you are the Messiah. This is the celebrity sighting, right? This is the one we've been waiting for. There you are. Here you are. Everyone look and, and see. So how would Jesus respond? 
Was he the Messiah? Was he not the Messiah? This is what the people in that day were wondering, right? Who is he really? Well, this is what happens. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyes were opened. And so Jesus, without saying a word, demonstrates to everyone there that he is exactly who these blind men say he is by doing something that no one else could do. And he heals them. But here's what's really interesting about this. We see something about Jesus in this moment. We see that he's a a different kind of leader, a different kind of ruler, because what's going on here? Remember I said they came to his place, his residence where he's staying, the place where he is going to relax after a busy day. Now, in their day, there was rulers, there was kings, right? They lived in palaces and they had throne rooms and you would not dare to charge into the castle unannounced or uninvited. You you would never go to the throne room because that would mean that you're probably not gonna make it out alive. If they were nice, they would throw you into prison. So these men, they charge into Christ's residence demanding this. You are the Messiah, but this is what we want because it's a test, isn't it? It says something about Jesus. Is he a ruler like all the rest of the rulers we know, that it's all about them and and what the servants can do for him? Or is he truly a shepherd, which is all about his sheep, all about his flock? And Jesus demonstrates something powerful, that even though they're encroaching on his space and his time, he loves them and he heals them. Well, the story continues. Matthew says, then Jesus sternly ordered them, see that no one knows of this, but they went away and spread the news about him throughout that district. So Jesus heals them and then he gives the kingly command, right? This is the rule. Do not tell anyone, which to most of us, to me for a long time, when when I heard these words, I thought, this is strange, isn't it? Why would he tell them, don't tell people that you're healed? I mean, wouldn't that be obvious? He's already doing these, these big group gatherings where he's healing people. It's very evident that he can do this. So what's the point of these two people not saying that? You see, he's not concerned about them telling people they were healed because that would be obvious, right? If you walked past that person and all of a sudden they can see you and they never could before, it'd be very obvious that they were healed. That's not what he's concerned about. What he's concerned about is their statement of faith. Because what do they say? You are the Messiah. Don't tell people that I'm the Messiah because people don't really get that. They're not gonna understand the purpose of the Messiah because the Jewish people, what did they see? What did they expect? They expect a shepherd king with the rod in his hand to beat away the oppressors and the oppressors in that day was Rome, right? Who was oppressing pretty much the whole known world. They were overruling everyone. Which means if people thought that that was Jesus, well, they were gonna try to shove him into a spot where he did not belong, a slot that he was never meant to be in. And if the Roman government found out about it, well, they would respond the same way Herod responded, right? Someone's coming for our leadership. Someone's coming for our throne. And what would happen? Jesus would be enemy number one. And all this would get in the way of what he was really trying to do, which is be a shepherd would become the lamb. So Matthew's writing continues. After they had gone away, a demonic who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the one who had been mute spoke and the crowds were amazed. 
and said, never has anything like this been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, by the ruler of the demons, he casts out the demons. So once again, Jesus shows his love and compassion. This time he allows somebody who couldn't speak to speak. And there's a crowd there gathered and they're all amazed except for there's a group of leaders, of rulers, of people with authority and power. And they don't really like what's happening because they feel the dynamic shifting. And so they say the statement, which is really nonsensical when you stop and think about it, but they say, look, he's, he's doing all these loving and compassionate things to confuse people so they follow Satan. Which of course, if they would have just taken a second and taken a breath and actually thought about probably the words that were about to come out of their mouth, they would have realized that this doesn't make sense at all. Because Satan, well, he's got a very specific role. We're told that he is here to steal, kill, and destroy, which is always the exact opposite of what God does. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus is doing here. Instead of taking, Jesus is giving. He's restoring and healing and binding the broken. Well, the writing continues. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. So once again, Jesus begins and continues his, his tour of love and compassion. I, I love this part because Matthew's just catch-all. Right? He healed the blind man. He, he healed the guy who couldn't speak. And just so you know, he, he basically nothing was off limits. If someone was sick, if someone was broken, if someone was addicted, he was just resolving it all, which is a powerful message to us, by the way, isn't it today? That no matter what you brought in here or what's coming in your future, no matter what that diagnosis is, that if it's God's will, he can take that from you. No matter how long you've been stuck in that rut, in that place, but that's a promise that our shepherd king, the one who wants to do everything for us, can fix any of that brokenness in our life. But there's something else that's really important here. Something else that Jesus does. You see, he's not just on a tour of love and compassion and just trying to give everyone a hug. No, he's got a very precise and specific purpose for doing this. What does it say? He went and proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. Now, what's the good news of the kingdom? Simplistically, it's, hey, the king is here, right? The shepherd king is here, the Messiah is here, and we know the ultimate purpose of the shepherd king is to live out his life and to sacrifice his life for us. This is the good news. Which means as Christians, we should always keep that as our primary purpose of love. Because the ultimate act of love is sharing the story and the truth of Christ's ultimate act of love. Which means all the things that we do in life, all the niceties, all the kindness, all the compassion that we share, its end goal is always to get people here to the definition of love embodied in Jesus Christ. Well, Matthew's writing moves forward. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So if you hadn't figured it out already, Matthew's very clear on why Jesus is doing this. Because Jesus sees us and sees the people back then and today how we truly are. We are sheep. Which kind of isn't really a compliment, by the way. 
right? We wander off. We think we're going the right way, but we're running into a ditch or we get lost and we can't take care of ourselves. And even when we think we're taking care of ourselves, we realize very quickly that maybe we haven't or we always haven't. And Jesus sees that. And he wants to come in and take that role of the shepherd king to guide and to nudge and to move us back in line with his goals, his purposes for our life, his path that leads to eternal life. This is what drives Jesus, always drives Jesus, always is driving his love and compassion, his miracles, his teaching. Everything is driven by this, that the world is wayward and lost and he is the one to give the path that leads them to where they're supposed to go. So here's how Matthew ends with Jesus' words. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So with all this laid out, as we see in Christ's life, that the ultimate act of love is to share Christ's ultimate act of love, Jesus gives us a commandment of what we should do about this. And it's actually kind of simple. It's kind of nice when Jesus tells us to do something and it's pretty easy to mark off our checklist, right? Because what does he say? He says, there's a bunch of sheep out there. They're all lost. Or in this metaphor, right, there's an abundant harvest out there. People need Jesus. And all I'm asking you to do is to ask or pray that God will send somebody, which is pretty simple, right? We should be able to do this. We should be able to sit down today and just mark off like, hey, here's the people that God has laid on my heart. It's my neighbor, it's my coworker, it's my teammate, it's my classmate. It's that family member I've always been thinking about. And I'm just gonna be really intentional. In fact, I encourage you, be, be really intentional today. Take a, take a pause today, maybe at lunch, later on, and just write down those names. Like one, two, three, four, maybe five names. And just commit to praying, maybe once a day. Start off once a week, whatever you need, just start off and, and just pray, right? Sit down, fold your hands and, and pray for these people that God has put on your heart. That's what he tells us to do, is it ask for somebody to come and share the good news of Christ's ultimate act of love to these people, which is pretty simple, right? We can do this, we can all do this. We just sit down, we pray, we work through our list and we say, God, this is the person I, you've laid on my heart. Please send somebody to talk to them. Now, I will give you a little warning. This very simple act is a very dangerous act. Because this is what I found in my life and this is what I know you'll find in your life. You're gonna write down those names and you're gonna go and pray for them and your hands will be folded, right? Like your mom taught you sometime before to keep your hands to yourself and you, and you fold your hands like this when you're praying and you start praying for these people and all of a sudden, God is gonna start stirring something in your heart and then he's gonna change how you hold your hands when you pray. And all of a sudden, you're going to be folding your hands, and I think those thumbs are going to start creeping up, and it looks a little bit like this. And then God's going to tell you something he's told me many times. You keep praying for somebody to go and talk to this person, your family member, your friend, and your coworker, the person you're around all the time, and, and guess what? I've, I have crafted the perfect person for this. That person already trusts them. That person already loves them. That person's already related to them, maybe. That person lives right next door to them. And it's this guy. Or of course, in your case, it would be you, right? Because isn't this what God has done? 
He's put people in our lives, in our specific places of influence so we can talk to them because they already love us. They already trust us. We've proven to that year in and year out. That's why we have a relationship. And now we get the honor and privilege to point them to an even better relationship of swinging our hands in the air and saying, you're not gonna believe who's right there and what they did for you to do the loving act of pointing to Christ's loving act. Amen.